Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hi, it's David Averin with the Customer Experience Advantage podcast. You know, in one generation, we went from reefer madness to reefer business. Whether or not cannabis is your thing, it is becoming a very big thing and a very, very big business as it emerges from the basement and into the mainstream. My guest today is the co-founder of LeafWire, which is fast becoming the LinkedIn of cannabis with over 45,000 members representing 20,000 companies. Forget what you thought you knew about weed. We're talking cannabis business with Peter Vogel of LeafWire. It's David Averin on the Customer Experience Advantage podcast back in 20 seconds. You're listening to the Customer Experience Advantage podcast with David Averin, featuring candid conversations with some of the most influential leaders in business today. Sit back and listen in, or feel free to watch the video version online. This is the Customer Experience Advantage podcast, and here's David Averin. And welcome to the podcast today. You know, we've, we've had some, some great conversations recently, just different aspects of business. This is one I've wanted to do for some time. Uh, you know, some of us who grew up, my, my kids are, are funny because they're like, Dad, it's not pot, it's weed. I'm like, okay. And then others say it's not weed, it's cannabis or it's hemp. It's becoming a, a very, very big business. And I've sort of watched from the periphery. I've got uh, friends and others who've been involved in the industry. Um, others who say, get your mind out of where it used to be. I mean, in, in my mind, because I'm in Colorado. And so at the very beginning, remember, it was Colorado. It was Washington State, which uh, that was really ironic because it was the same time that the Broncos and the Seahawks were in the Super Bowl together. And uh, people were talking, well, that makes a whole lot of sense. But at, at the beginning of all this, when it was finally legalized and certainly spreading, we're going to talk to Peter about all of this. Uh, for me, it was, I, I just remember the jokes because it, it became, you know, on the day that it was legalized and people lining up, there was a, a woman with a Girl Scout and a trailer outside of a, a dispensary selling Girl Scout cookies. And it became sort of the ha ha nudge nudge. I think it's really naive when you watch what's happened to the business side of this and the, and the, and the technology and the resources. My guest today, Peter Vogel, uh, has created co-founder of LeafWire. And if you look it up online, it's like LinkedIn meets Facebook of the cannabis industry. They have uh, 20,000 companies, 45,000 members, and a new job board, a cannabis hemp job board with over 12,000 open jobs from many of the world's largest multi-state operators. Let me do a quick introduction, and then we'll say hi. To, uh, Peter is a thought leader in the cannabis entrepreneurship and fundraising space. He's been published in TechCrunch, VentureBeat, Dope Magazine, and Entrepreneur.com, among others. He's also hosted LeafWire's Future of Cannabis Pitch Contest Series in cities worldwide, including Denver, Miami, Oakland, Los Angeles, Vancouver, and Toronto. He's a serial entrepreneur, having co-founded several companies in the fintech and loyalty and marketing space. He's jumped headfirst into the cannabis industry three years ago and co-founded LeafWire. Um, so much more that we can learn. 
but um, I am remiss in not introducing you yet. Peter Vogel, welcome to the show. Thank you, David. Pleasure to be here. Absolutely. So this is this is fascinating to me. Now, the fact that I'm in Colorado, uh, even though I travel extensively, we were a little bit earlier in the process in terms of the legalization. And as I traveled, those were the questions all the time. And um, the only answer I had was nobody cares. I mean, nobody cares. I mean, if you want to buy it, go buy it. Um, the only people talking about it were people outside the state. Well, what's happened in recent years is phenomenal. Talk to us a little bit about the genesis and talk about your, your uh, service to the, to the industry and the business that you've created. Yeah, so you're, you're 100% correct. There's been a ton of change over. I've been in the industry for probably about five years now, uh, which for most industries is not that long. For, for cannabis, right. five years is a long time just because there hasn't been a legalized industry for that long. Um, but even in the five years I've been in, I mean, I've seen tons of brand new states go legal, even the laws change in existing states multiple times when it comes to consumption lounges or edibles or packaging or banking. I mean, there's still a ton of everything in flux right now, uh, but I loved the, uh, the description you gave that we've moved from reefer madness to reefer business. Um, and all of us in states that are legal, that's kind of how we think about it. It's, it's just a business like any others. Um, you know, it's, they're, they're, if, if you're in a state, you kind of forget that there really still is stigma out there in lots of other states right? Uh, where it's illegal. I mean, if you live in Denver, I, I also think what you said is exactly true. Nobody really cares about, you know, whether, whether someone's using cannabis or not using cannabis, like it's, it's just not a big deal. Like well, it's, what's interesting, Peter, it's not even a topic of conversation for those who don't care. It's a business for others, but it's not like, I think there's this perception that like if somebody owns a brew pub, yeah. They're just sitting there getting drunk all day. No, it's a business, right? They're, right. they're serving clients. They're serving customers. There's there's technology. There's marketing. All of that, um, but but it isn't even it doesn't even come up in conversation unless it's something that you're interested in, like any yep. other business product service commodity out there. Yeah, very true. And it was funny. One of the you know you know when you get into a new industry, you start networking and having lunches with folks and. One of the first people I had lunch with was uh, Nancy Whiteman, who's CEO of Wana Brands, which is the, I think, the biggest edibles brand in the world. And she she just got acquired for three hundred million dollars, um, and is you know probably one of the most well known brands in cannabis. And I had asked her, you know, as a new naive person to the industry, kind of you know what what do you attribute your kind of success or your product catching on or your your brand becoming so well known. Uh, and she said, uh, following basic business principles, just like any other industry, she, she was a professional businesswoman decades before cannabis, and she just brought the same professional finance management, the same professional organization, the same HR structure, the same uh, uh, just employment practices, the same operational practices. And sure, that's, that's what it is. I mean, people oftentimes forget they think cannabis is just this magical thing you're going to make tons of money in and it's easy and everyone loves it but it just boils down to people are creating a product and selling it and people are buying it uh and and there's tons and tons of businesses swirling around it and that's i think one of the things that people don't realize when i talk about cannabis is cannabis is not just growers and people who own dispensaries um, I mean, cannabis is the lighting companies, the HR companies, the shipping companies, the packaging companies, the AC companies, the lawyers, the accountants, the investors, the, the size of 
the so they separate the industry into plant touching which means you're licensed by the state and you grow it and or sell it or you know uh, d d deliver it so you're you're touching it or you're not you're considered non-plant touching company and that's probably 80 90 percent of the industry is everyone else you know right. the, Every, every company, if you think about any company you've ever worked for, probably had 20, 30 service providers, whether it's shipping, paper, uh, lights, you know, anything you think of fertilizer. Uh, it's the same in cannabis. Like the, the biggest part of the industry is really everyone else that's servicing the industry. So these are all traditional companies that just happen to now a, a bulk of their income comes from the cannabis and hemp industry. Well, you, you look at almost any consumer product and most of the business, you, if you look at something like the CEO roundtable groups like Vistage and YPO and others, most of those are B2B. And I just say for, for listeners or for those of you who are watching the video version of this on my website or on, uh, on YouTube, we're talking to Peter Vogel here with LeafWire. Uh, with any of wherever you are listening or watching right now, look around the room where you are. Everything you see in that room, somebody made that, some company the light, the fixture, the switch, the carpet, uh, someone manufactured it and shipped it and delivered it. The final consumer product is just a small part. And so is that one of the, um, did, did, do you think that companies figured that out or didn't figure it out very, very quickly that this isn't selling on the corner, that you better have your business practices in place? I would assume we've seen some pretty significant um, attrition in the industry. 100%. Uh, we, we've seen both quite a bit of attrition and quite a bit of what I would call more the bad actors who aren't really following the rules as they're supposed to, or there's been a variety of dispensaries, even in Denver, that have been shut down, where they got busted for, I think the term they used for it was called cycling, where you're supposed to only sell a certain amount of cannabis to a person in a day. Right. And people who are trying to essentially get larger volumes and transport it out of state would go in the front door, make a purchase, go back outside, come right back in 20 minutes later and do that like 10 times. Right. And it's supposed to be, you know, monitored and not allowed. Uh, and a bunch of those dispensaries got shut down. So we've seen a combination of uh, one, some of the bad actors getting slowly pushed out as there are more and more rules and regulation. And, you know, I, I think they say cannabis is probably the most regulated industry almost in the entire world when it comes to, shipping and packaging and you you literally when you walk into a, a dispensary at least in colorado here still and i think this is actually most states you show your id uh to be, to be even able to walk in the door you show your id no matter what age you are right and then which is which make, is not the case with liquor no i mean anyone can walk in the door and then when you go make a purchase you show your id again so there's literally you have to prove your existence twice your age um and they had very specific packaging you you had to have like state certified packaging that was stapled and like polymer plastic which was actually kind of bad for the environment they've changed some of that now but they, they used to also and, and a lot of places still do require a, a security guard standing there in the store like no liquor store requires that right um and even advertising i mean you you can see how many beer commercials do you see in football games and you know on tv and even exactly on right all over the place and so it's weird that, you know, it, even though cannabis is fully legal, I mean, we still have all the same banking issues, but it's, it's treated much, much more in, in a regulated way than anything else, even alcohol, which is ironic. You look at 
I, I think the last thing I heard was there, there's almost, I don't think there's ever been a person who died of an overdose of, of, of cannabis. Um, and you, you literally, you know, alcohol is probably one of the leading killers of people worldwide. Right. But you also know that you're fighting against generations of, you know, I commented on the, the reef for madness. I should probably, um, should trademark that reefer madness to reefer business. Um, but but we grew up in a time, and I'm I'm almost 59. I mean, I grew up in a time where it was uh, it was hush hush. Everybody did it in middle school or high school or whatever else. It wasn't hard to find, but it was a gateway drug. First this, then that. I mean, it's like it's you know 7-Eleven first Slurpees, then big gulps. The next thing you know, it's super <laughs> big gulps, and and you can't stop. And and I remember reefer madness, and I remember the, the craziness. Um, so many of the lawmakers for so many years grew up in that generation. Is it this transformation and this, this um, influx of younger lawmakers and policymakers that is affecting the change? Or is it just sort of a matter of inevitability? We realize that it, it can be fairly innocuous. Um, I think it's a combination of two. One, uh, I think we'll have a lot more progress as more and more of the older, very established politicians who've been there for 30, 40 years finally retire and move out. And you get some people in who are actually in touch with the people. Um, I think that's happening. Um, I mean, you're also seeing what's also very common is you see states, even with Republican senators, um, when those states go legal and they start to see, oh, wow, we're just generated $30 million in tax revenue. Yeah, you bet. And also, almost every state has studies showing that once cannabis is legalized, opioid deaths go down, and youth use of cannabis, which seems counterintuitive, goes down. But it's almost what it's- Because the romance goes away. It's not forbidden, right? Right. It's it's, it's Thursday. It's not as big a deal anymore. So all of a sudden, youth aren't sneaking around trying to steal it or sell it. Because uh, they're watching their parents do it. And like, what, what's more boring than what your parents do, right? Right. Uh, that's like why, you know, all the kids start quitting Facebook because the parents got into it, right? Exactly so, right. Because, oh, yeah, my mom tried to, to, you know, connect with me on Facebook. I'm like, oh, my God, so embarrassing. Next thing you know, they're on Instagram and TikTok and everything else. Right. But, but yeah, I, I think we're seeing that as well. Um, talk, But there at some point, there has to be, uh, and tell me if I'm wrong, some measure of critical mass. Are, are we going to see continued consolidation in the industry uh, where there are some significant players, but at, at some point that the astronomical growth has to slow because right. everybody who wants, I mean, I, I, one of the things I was telling people is, is that, you know, in Colorado, when this all started, I said, I don't think people are suddenly starting to, to smoke weed um, or doing edibles because it's now legal. If they want to do, they were doing it before. Now they're still doing it. They're just doing it legally. Um, am I off base? And is there is there an, an, a significant continued upside in terms of, of usage and adoption that, that isn't currently tapped? Uh, I would say there is a, still a huge amount of adoption that's not tapped into just because of, think about all the states that aren't legal or, or, or even operationally. So New York went legal last year, New Jersey went legal. They're not selling it. Like it's not even the markets are still open. they still haven't figured out all the the legal right. and regulatory aspects right it, it, exactly it typically takes states you know one to two years just to get everything in order and the bigger the state the more complicated and number of people who want a piece of the pie uh, and there's always these big battles over social equity programs they're trying to create 
ways for people who've been uh, disadvantaged or incarcerated or whatnot to actually help benefit from the cannabis industry versus just having a bunch of after imprisoning largely people of color, all of a sudden have a bunch of rich white men come in and take take over. Uh, so there's a lot of states try to come up with ways to alleviate that. And there's a lot, as you can imagine, a lot of strong feelings on both sides of what's fair or not fair. Right. So politicians can get very uh, Twitter-pated, I guess, and very uh, it, it can become very passionate arguments on both sides of on both but but it, it but i would assume to some extent watching neighboring states enjoying all of this revenue and people crossing lines and they're saying why is all of that revenue leaving but let's go back to the question about consolidation um there were a lot of very small players um, which is true for almost any emerging industry and at some point all pun intended that kind of weeds itself out yeah and uh, there are more and more of the large, you, you mentioned uh, MSOs or multi-state operators, which are any of you out there who don't know that, those are basically the largest cannabis companies that own cannabis. Often they own cannabis grows and uh, dispensaries across multiple states. So they are, might they, are they scooping those up? They're, they're scooping up each other, first of all. So a, a bunch of those may have, you know, one in Florida, uh, I think, tr I think true, true Leave is the big one in Florida. And there's one called Cure Leaf, uh, uh, Verano, Harborside. There's tons of these. And a lot of these specialize in certain states. So they might have three grows in Florida and then uh, 20 medical dispensaries. But then they want to move into another state. So what they do is they usually buy another MSO that's operating in that state and already has an established. They might have 10 licenses already. And they might have 10 grows. And they might have 30 dispensaries. So the way they grow is by going state by state and essentially buying each other up. And I, I do think though there will be, there'll always be a place just like in alcohol, you know, you have craft uh, craft beer products. Right. Good analogy. Yeah. That, that, that emerge. And oftentimes the big win for them is when they get acquired by the, the big, the big boys, but a lot of those exist. So for people who do want to spend, you know, twice as much on something that's, a higher quality or you know produced in a completely unique way there i think there'll always be those products but there i think like any industry we'll, we'll keep seeing more and more consolidation right before we talk about leafwire talk just on a personal level when you watch some of these these uh cop shows and and i use the term with affection i'm just uh, just mimicking the term on tv and you're watching them and the live cameras and and they're still arresting people and putting them in in jail for marijuana, where 30 miles away in a neighboring state, they're sitting with friends after, you know, a day working at the hospital mm -hmm. and hanging out and, and enjoying cannabis, smoking weed, however you want to put it. Uh, is, this, is this crazy that we're still putting people in jail for this? Uh, yes. And there's, there's a lot of organizations. There's one called the Last Prisoner Project, which is devoted to getting people out of jail for nonviolent, you know, crimes that have to do with cannabis. There's lots of other organizations that try and help uh, provide like education programs and rehabilitation and help, right. help people reemerge, right? Yeah, they, I mean, people, you know, they serve their time and come out. And traditionally, I think our system's done a really poor job at providing those people with a chance because they come out, they're broke, they haven't had a job in five, 10 years, and they're just expected to figure it out. And there's, there's no one there helping them or even 
maybe providing a stable home. They may or may not still have family they can live with. Right. Um, so, well, and, and I'm a little bit naive about this. For the states that are legalizing, is there also a, a simultaneous push to release those who are imprisoned for marijuana related? I'm not talking bigger drugs. I'm not talking yeah. fentanyl and heroin. But for marijuana, is there also a simultaneous push to, to have those people released for something that's no longer illegal? Yeah, a lot of the states have done that. Uh, New York did a big push for that. Uh, a bunch, I mean, California has been, done it for, been doing it forever. Colorado does it. Almost all the states do a combination of, they do, uh, they do an expungement on your record. So they basically delete the fact that it was ever even there. Right. Uh, uh, and, and or let people out if, if they're nonviolent. And the, the other thing they do is drop current cases. So say if there's 5,000 cases in the system being charged, they, they basically drop those and then expunge those from the records. But yeah, yeah talk they, about they, a cost well, savings and freeing up the, oh, the system. Come on. Yeah, exactly. And the amount of, you know, the, the issues we have in America with uh, not having enough workers to do a lot of the jobs we have. And instead, we're paying to keep these people in jail. Right. Um, well, so when, we of, look at, when we look at from a vice perspective, using the, uh, the police terminology, um, there's a lot of things that aren't necessarily good for us. Now, I'm, I, I, I will never reveal my political, but I, when it comes to things like this, I'm, a, I'm not a libertarian, but I am a civil libertarian in that who cares what somebody wants to do with their own body? Sorry if that offends anybody, but, but marijuana, who cares? Tobacco, no, children are different, right? We protect our kids. Somebody wants to smoke, you know, as long as you're not hurting somebody else, somebody wants to have a beer, a glass of wine with friends, if somebody wants to, to in, in, enjoy a, a joint with their friends, I'm one of these people like, like we're grown people, like who cares? Um, but I'm all in on business. So let's talk about the business side about all of this. Um, I, I'm an, I am an unapologetic, compassionate capitalist. Uh, I think for those of us who, who do good work and, and sell things honestly and ethically, Talk to me about the industry and talk to me about the role and the genesis for LeafWire. Uh, so we, I got pulled in about five years ago uh, by, I'd lived in Colorado for, you know, five, 10 years before that. So I was very aware of the cannabis industry and I had some friends working in it. And if you live here, you kind of can't, you, you know, you see dispensaries on every couple blocks. It's sure. A, like it's Starbucks. There. Yeah. Right. And I, I was never in my life a big, smoker but you know we would you know have edibles once in a while or things like that or you know try different things um and uh we we realized once the industry was getting legal uh that there was this need to have a safe place for the industry to kind of connect online and share information to find each other to find jobs to find business partners in a way that they didn't have to be worried about stigma or having their accounts shut down and right. uh, Facebook, Google, and YouTube, and Instagram are all still notorious for randomly shutting people's accounts down just for even using the word cannabis. You could literally be talking about the science of cannabis. Uh, you could be talking about politics. Uh, if your group is labeled as a cannabis group, your YouTube uh, video channel with 3 million people is just shut down uh, with no recourse. Uh, Instagram's the same. LinkedIn was the one that was the most friendly, uh, but we found by talking to people, there's still a lot of people who are leery about, you know, they, they didn't want to announce the launch of some new cannabis product or talk about some aspect of their business because 
a, a lot of their colleagues or family live in other states where it's not legal. Right. Well, we're, still- we're seeing that with, with some marketing firms and others that don't make widely known that one of the, the clients that they're promoting is a cannabis industry one. And we're still seeing a little bit of that trepidation. Yeah. And, and you also, uh, in, in talking with folks kind of before and during and, and still today, people come to us all the time. The first message I get from most people is, oh my God, I'm so glad I found this. I didn't even know this existed. Like, like we need this. Like I, I probably get that 10 times a day. Um, and a, a lot of people, Canvas might not be the last industry they're ever in. If they want to go back to a Fortune 100 bank, they don't necessarily want a ton of stuff about cannabis and hemp uh, all over their LinkedIn page. Sure. So people report that they're leery to share as much as they want to on LinkedIn. Uh, even though LinkedIn doesn't cancel accounts, but it's still, the problem with LinkedIn is it's 600 million people. It's everybody. Right. And what you're trying to do in the industry, the cannabis industry is very insular in the sense that, you know, if, if you're trying to do packaging for cannabis companies, you really only need to talk to cannabis companies. You don't want to talk to every Harry, Dick and Joe out there uh, and also be sold insurance and lead gen products and everything. I'm sure you get on LinkedIn every day. Sure. Um, so it's just a place where people knew that they could come to be able to speak 100% freely and also have 100% focus. So the combination between news, jobs and events, everything's all cannabis, all hemp. So you, right. you, well, and, well, I got to tell you really quickly from my perspective is I'm, I'm leafing through once again, all pun intended, um, the, the LeafWire site right now, it's as professional and, and good looking and robust as I've ever seen. I mean, I would assume in the early days, it was like chat boards. How are you circumventing this regulation? Right. How are you dealing with cash? Um, it is as presented um, and with everything from jobs Green pages, events. Um, you're doing events as well. This is very, very mainstream. Yeah, and surprisingly yeah, no. so. It's. I mean, the goal is to it just be a business platform. Uh, like we we went out of our way not to have you know just just big pictures of weed leaves and like be so druggy and so um, kind of like pot oriented. And and in the industry, you talk about the different words. Most people in the industry prefer to use the word cannabis because it's right. the word most people use in business. Even marijuana has a lot of negative connotations from like reefer madness, you know, and any of the other slang, of course, is like that too. So, yeah, we, you won't find on LeafWire, like people don't just post pictures of weed or they don't talk about how high they got. It's very much, it's a discussion of business. And we've tried very hard to recruit only people in the, like, we, we don't go advertise this just to consumers. Like we promote right. LeafWire. It's very clear. It's an internal um, uh, platform for these as well. No, no, I would assume to some extent you are also, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, monitoring, curating content. Yes, we, we, we will get people coming on who are like creators or Forex or, or, or we get occasionally kind of black market folks coming on trying to sell products illegally, which obviously we don't condone. We only, uh, we only let people on the platform who are, uh, you know, prof- legal prof- or professional business people who are operating in, in a legal manner. And yeah. we try and steer away from when people start getting someone to go to their Bitcoin site. And, you know, we, we usually shut those accounts down because yeah. we, we, we yeah. want the focus to be on what people came for. Yeah, I, t- I would I would encourage people, uh, whether or not this is your industry, and I will I will freely admit, um, yeah, I smoke weed in middle school or whatever else, haven't in, in decades, I've never walked into a dispensary, um, I don't smoke, but I'm not, you know, I'm 
just a guy. Go to this site, go to leafwire.com. And I'm not here promoting um, Peter and his venture. Um, it's fascinating and it's brilliantly done. And I say that from a purely business perspective, you know your audience. Um, the content is directed towards people who are in the business part of the industry. Um, once again, talking to Peter Vogel from LeafWire, serial entrepreneur, but this has some real legs. Talk to us about the, the state of regulations. I know a lot of the conversation early on um, was about the trepidation on the part of the banking industry mm -hmm. uh, because there was still a, a federal ban, even though there was some local uh, allowance of cannabis. Some of the dispensaries were targets for robbery and others because they knew they had a lot of cash on hand. What's the current... Uh, state by state and don't need to go through all of them, but broadly, and then what's the federal regulations and where, where do we see it going in the next year or so? Uh, well, I would say as a big picture, I would say it's, it's, a, it's a still a mess right now. Like they haven't done anything from a federal level to make it so that a company associated with cannabis can even have a bank account. Uh, there have been state level, like kind of community banks and state run banks that have taken that risk uh, which for them is a risk because they federal regulators could come down at them at some point. They haven't, but mostly banking is still a huge challenge. And even for LeafWire, I mean, we're, I mean, you, you see our platform. I mean, we're not selling drugs. We're just allowing people to communicate. Um, we, we had a Wells Fargo bank account. We got shut down in March of 2020, the month that the pandemic started and Wells Fargo basically said they, that our account was suspended and we had 30 days to take the money out. Uh, and it turned out they had a bot that was going around and they saw the word cannabis and they shut down every single company that had the word cannabis on anything. So imagine being the first month of the pandemic and you lose your bank account. You have to start going bank to bank to basically beg people to let you have a bank account. So have like, you found banking partners for this or are you stuffing it in your mattress, uh, in your mattress? And if you are, what's your address? <laughs> and, um, well, I think I gave you too much information earlier about where I live, so I may have to backtrack on that. No worries. No uh, so uh, we did get another bank account. There are uh, the bank we use now is called Signature Bank New York. It's a big bank out of New York that had determined that they're comfortable working with the non-plant touching companies like us because there is nothing federally illegal about about what, what you're doing. doing. Right? Yeah, you're no, not you're not touching cannabis. Right? We're just an online platform. So we found one. It's very hard for lots of people to find one. We, we got in through a, a big investment fund that we were connected with, moved their you know, multi-hundred million dollar account there. And that's how we got into that bank. But uh, it's still, most places don't take cash. And most of the dispensaries that accept cash, you kind of take it out of an ATM or they charge you at the register and you have to get $5 more and it comes out of the ATM, but they, some of the dispensaries label it not entirely what it should be. So there's still a lot of gray areas and uh, it's, I'm, I've been shocked that they haven't, you think of anything, the federal government wants to control and monitor money. They, they would want to know how much money there is, where it's moving to, how much they're gonna tax it and where it's being stored. Uh, so I would think it's in their 100% best interest like they would want to make federal banking okay so that just so they can monitor everything and stop there still is armored vans going to dispensaries all the time i mean it's still a huge issue for people people get held up or killed occasionally i mean it's like it's it's a mess and yeah. 
for some reason, the federal government hasn't, I, I get, you know, there's, there's a pandemic and there's a war and all these other things, but Biden and Harris did partially run on that they were going to do cannabis reform right away. And they basically have done zero, like absolutely nothing. So there's been a lot of disappointment in them not doing anything. So is there just so many uh, opportunities and so many dollars potentially available that those who have a pretty good tolerance for uh, and are risk averse are saying, I, I can't walk away from this. Uh, I'm still going all in and I'm just going to uh, hope against hope that the regulations and the and the government catch up. Yeah, I think well, like you used the word earlier, uh, inevitable. Like it's it's going to happen. It's just a question of is it going to be one year from now, three years, five years, eight years? I mean, it will be federally legal, just like they did with alcohol when they ended prohibition. And then sure. each each state will be allowed to enact whatever laws they want, but it won't be federally illegal anymore. So banking will be allowed taxes will be better. There's all these tax issues for uh, cannabis companies that are too complicated to go into, but uh, it, it it will change. So I think people, the only thing it has done is it's made life a lot more complicated for some of the companies that had projected faster growth or some of the funds that had put money in and thought they were going to be getting money out faster. So there's been a lot of frustration in the fact that things have been slower. States take another year or two to start selling than they're supposed to occasionally legalization still hasn't happened. So that's the biggest problem for the industry is, you know, 100% caused by the federal government. Sure. Um, in the last minute that we have here, take out your crystal ball. Uh, there clearly needs to be a more consistent voice for the industry. I would assume the bigger players are funding some of those legislative and lobbying efforts. Talk to me about LeafWire. Talk to me about the vision for what this can be in, um, beyond a, a robust online platform for meetings yep. and jobs and information. Um, do you envision LeafWire being that ultimate resource voice? Everybody, that's where you go to get, to connect, to learn, to uh, to grow your business. 100%. So we're already the largest business network in cannabis. There's, there's no one else that really does this. I mean, there's lots of cannabis news sites you can find, but no one else that does a network like this where people communicate uh, right now, though, we're all online on, on desktop. Uh, we are launching, though, a mobile app in just a couple months. And I think that's going to be a big, we're putting a big focus on in-person events as well, so that people can use the app to see geographically, you know, who's who's near me, who's within one mile of me at this event. So you can discover, you know, your friend John suddenly is, oh, I didn't know John was at this event, or I didn't know Mary lived in Salt Lake City, where I am right now. I'll have to tell her we're doing a happy hour tonight. So the app will allow you to discover people who are who are within miles of you. Uh, it'll allow you to set meetings with them. It'll allow you to take notes in your app so that when you go home from the conference, all the notes are there. It'll allow you to follow up. And we're also, uh, of course, we're doing a QR code because everyone and their mother does that now. Uh, we're going to have a QR code for each person. So if you go to an event and you don't want to give business cards back and forth, you can snap each other's QR code and it'll keep you connected in LeafWire. So the goal is to kind of become the go-to in-person tool in addition to being at home. It's going to be fascinating to see the growth of this in the coming months. And I can see it growing exponentially. And, and these podcasts live, uh, you know, are a bit evergreen and they live beyond yep. it. So I think it's something great to, uh, to reconnect on later. If people want to get in touch with you and learn more about LeafWire and the, uh, the work that you're doing, how do they get in touch with you? 
Sure. Uh, so I would say as well, we are in the process of fundraising. So if anyone out there wants to get kind of a little bit into a cannabis tech play, wants to learn a little more, uh, I'm easy to find on LeafWire, or you can you know email me at peter at leafwire.com. Um, and would love to share some more information. We're a, what they call a picks and shovels play. So we're kind of the, the tools that people use in the industry to achieve success. So we're kind of a unique, a unique way for people to gain exposure to the industry without having to be you know, an owner of a dispensary. So you can kind of tap into cannabis and keep it a little arm's length, but still benefit from the booming industry. Sure. And look them up online. Look them up on LinkedIn and, and LeafWire as well. Peter Vogel, it's a V-O-G-E-L. To make that clear, um, Pert, thank you. This this is educational for me. You know, it, it it's easy to be on the joking part of it and the uh, and the Doritos and Cheetos side of it. But <laughs> this is this has grown into into something. It's really fascinating. And I have colleagues who are who are involved as well. Um, and like I said, whether or not it's your thing, it's something that that you really have to respect and recognize in terms of, of building sort of the, the business processes from scratch and, and adopting some of the best practices from others in a, in, a, in a really wild west kind of an industry right now. Peter Vogel, thanks for being with us. Hang on on the other side. We'll talk a brief moment afterwards. All right, thank um, you. I will remind uh, everyone that they can, uh, I'm supposed to have one here in front of me to pick up a copy of my new book. If you're listening, it doesn't matter. You can't see it anyway. My new book, The Morning Huddle, Powerful customer experience conversations to wake you up and shake you up and win more business. In fact, all of my books are available on amazon.com. If you're watching the video, they are strategically located here next to my head, seven different languages. Be sure to click to like this podcast, subscribe, leave your comments below, and remember to click the little bell icon to receive notifications of new episodes. You can learn more about my keynote speaking, my consulting at davidavrin.com. Thanks for tuning in. This is the Customer Experience Advantage podcast. Check out past episodes. Leave a comment. Big thanks to my guest, Peter Vogel with EFWIRE. I am David Averin. Be good. This has been the Customer Experience Advantage podcast with David Averin. Feel free to leave a comment and be sure to hit the thumbs up button. You can listen to past episodes and be notified of future ones by subscribing on your favorite podcast platform. David's popular marketing and customer experience books are available in print, as well as Kindle and audiobook, and published in multiple languages around the world. You can stay connected and learn more at davidaverin.com. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.